0: Cynthia Hyatt.
1: Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me today. You are listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I am Cynthia Hyatt, your host. I always appreciate it. I do. I really always appreciate it when you spend time just really listening to some truths from from our Lord, from our Savior, and also learning to apply them, and just learning to be the best version of you, the one that God truly designed for you to be. And that really is the person that feels most comfortable to us. The more that we become who God really designed us to be, you know, when he had that idea of us, when he was creating us in our mother's womb, and he was so happy that he was creating us. So the closer we get to his version, to his idea, the happier, the more peaceful, the more settled we are, and the more meaning and purpose our life has. So we really focused last week on this issue of dying to self, and then we also had a special guest that I hope that you were able to listen to that second half. It was Daniel Johanan of Gospel for Asia, and he really talked at length about what they are doing over in Asia, all through India, really Proselytizing and the amount of people that are coming to the Lord, and how lost that country is. On top of the fact that we really want to continue to pray for that country, they are having uh, floods that are probably some of the biggest floods they have ever experienced. And there's close to 40 to 400,000 people that are displaced. So, we really want to pr- pray for that country and what God is doing in the midst of such tragedy. So, we're going to kind of finish up this whole dying to yourself, dying to self. And it's that idea of dying to self and discovering so much more. And then we're going to spend the rest of today's show on 7 steps to a better you. And this is from um his name is James Mallory. He's an MD and a psychiatrist and he was with uh Pastor Stanley Baldwin and they put this book together years and years ago. This is one of the oldest books, really. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's like a hundred years, but I believe that they wrote it probably in the seventies. And what's really exciting is how prevalent and how very prolific and very applicable these steps still are. So I love to use things from past, you know, from sages of the past that, that really came across a truth from the Lord and were able to really synthesize it into something that is easy to apply, simple to understand. So let's finish this, this whole issue of dying to self and discovering so much more and reminding yourself that dying to self is not self-hatred, nor is it necessarily denying yourself. It's really truly an adult endeavor. And what we find is that in dying to self, we actually will find ourselves. We struggle less with ourselves. We love better. We sleep better, we perform better, and we really enjoy God's people. We have much more tolerance, much more deference for mistake-making people. And we have really much more appropriate expectations on ourselves and on each other when we are willing to really do this very deep and very sometimes unfathomable edict that God gave us, which was dying to self. And so you have to remember that God never instructs us, nor will he ever ask us to do something that brings no benefit to his children or to his creation overall. So let's look at this idea of dying to self without losing yourself. You see, self-sacrifice can be exhausting, And it can be painful and arduous and sometimes largely thankless, other than from God. See, there's no shortage of people that stand (laughs) ready to take advantage of our willingness to serve. But nonetheless, there are few messages that are more consistent in the New Testament than Christians being known for their sacrificial spirit. And you'll see that in Romans 12, verse 10. And so, christ really reflects this 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 picture of intrinsic sacrifice and in in his letter to the philippines paul exhorts people he says in humility count others more significant than yourselves and that's philippians 2 3 and this is in many ways that statement very contrary to the psychological psychiatric world Um, and and some of that is because they don't really understand what the gospel is saying. They just hear it as self-deprecation or making yourself less than or denying or really struggling with self-esteem and thinking that, you know, you are less and they are more. When actually what God is truly saying is he says, in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He's saying if you've taken care of yourself, your significance will already be there. What that does Is allows the significant of others to really come forward. So it isn't this vertical issue of you're better than me and I'm less than. It's I'm so okay with me. My needs are truly being met and I'm meeting my own needs as much as I can. And then I'm very successfully having needs met that others need to meet. And it's working so that. You don't have to worry about me. You don't have to necessarily think about me, unless you really want to, which is nice. But what happens is we become that person for others that is not complicated, that is actually refreshing, that's the person that's easy to be with. They're your friend that you go, you know what? They just don't get offended very easily. They're really okay. And they confront me if I need to be confronted, but they don't complicate everything. Every issue doesn't morph into 10 more issues. So when we are this person that has learned to die to self, we really can be present for others. And one of the first and foremost ways that we do this is we anchor our self-worth in God. And in order to be confidently sacrificial, we really have to know our own true value. So oftentimes we get our value externally, by what people think about us, if they like us, if they want to be with us, how much we own, how we look, what society has determined what is of value. Instead of recognizing that your value is inherent, it can't be lessened and it can't be maximized. It just is. It's the same when we've talked in, before in our previous shows about a hundred dollar bill. Whether it's crumpled up whether it's super old, whether someone spit on it, whether you found it in a trash can, it's still worth $100. But the external things that happen to that $100 bill cannot remove the $100 value. And this is what Satan wants to cause us to not understand or not really truly believe. He wants that that issue of value to elude us. He wants us to believe that our value is extrinsic That our value is in what we own how popular we are how well known we are how talented we are how how much money we have how beautiful we are instead of recognizing that your value is intrinsic and that god has made you in his image now that's an interesting thought to me there are some people that feel very confident about their appearance and if you said hey you're made in god's image they might not have a hard time buying into that. They might go, yeah, yeah, I'm a pretty awesome looking creature, human. But what about those of us that maybe aren't fitting the norm or the current um, whatever is, is out there right now in the world as to what is beautiful, what is valuable? What if we don't fit in that box? What if we don't look like what society says is the, the goal to uh, you know, aspire to? See, that's where we have to understand. We're still made in God's image. And God doesn't make anything that's not valuable. He's a creator. He loves everything he's created. And we want to make sure that we are resisting just what naturally comes to us in terms of letting the external world and whatever century we're born in, whatever year we are, whatever is current, in the 21st century, dictate for us what is valuable. And so we need to draw our energy from God. We need to know from where the energy to be self-sacrificing comes. See, it's too often that we strive for self-denial, and we, we try to do it in our own strength. But when we trust in ourselves to deny ourselves, that's kind of a, like an oxymoron. It's, it's, it's a conflict. It doesn't work. See, self sacrifice is not necessarily initially, I want to say that word initially, refreshing to our ego because it often feels like a death. But what you will find is that the more that you deny, and I'm not saying to a degree that you're acting, you know, you're, you're harming yourself. What I'm saying is if I'm meeting my own needs, and and someone refuses to give me something that is easy to give me or or probably is appropriate it might be a little uncomfortable but it doesn't cause me to plummet to the depths of my being and feel rejected not wanted harmed despised and this is what we're talking about the the ego and when we and we've talked some about that, this in in our show but You have to understand that when we say someone has a a big ego, they're kind of getting it upside down. See, the more fragile your ego is, the more we have to manage you. The more fragile your ego, the more building up you have to have. This is like, think about a lot of different actors or musicians or artists. They're a great, many times a great example. That we have to manage them. Think about professional athletes. We have to manage them in order to get a good performance from them. So we have to give them the exact right temperature, the exact right food, the time, all these different types of things that go into really managing how fragile their ego is. So what we want to think about is the more we deny self, the more we recognize that our value comes from the Lord and it doesn't come from anything outside of us because what is outside of us is temporary then what occurs is we get a really strong ego that can tolerate the mistakes that people make and not personalize them. And even if they're intended to be personal, we're able to know the truth about ourselves and to forgive that person. So join me in the next segment. We're going to really talk about these great seven steps to becoming a better you. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm your host, and I'm so glad you're joining me. And if you were not able to listen to the first part of this hour, make sure you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. And just go to the top of the homepage, hit the listen button, and it'll take you to all the different podcasts. The ones we have that are half hour long that we did five days a week. And then also the hour long ones that we air on Sundays. So make sure that you get to listen to that entire show. And so we're ending this whole, dif- this whole concept that we've been talking about regarding dying to self. And I want you to know that dying to self looks different for everyone. Dying to self, you know, for you, it may be talking less. For another person, it may be speaking up. To one, it's not helping so much. And to another, it's truly stepping up. So I say to clients oftentimes, you know, maybe you need to lighten up. And I might say to another, maybe you need to tighten up a little. So ask your Savior, ask your Lord what dying to self looks like, feels like, acts like in regards to the the unique creation of you. He will love to be of service to you, helping you, encouraging you, guiding you, directing you truly in the pathway to peace. Because dying to self brings so much peace. So the journey of our Lord and Savior, this is what he walked. He was the most humble of all men, but he was not a pushover. He was humble, but so strong. So he walked before us and he promises to walk with us and to complete the good work that he began in us. And that's Philippians 1.6. And it says being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to the completion until the day of christ jesus so until jesus comes back we will never arrive and that has in used to be kind of like a burden a pressure and now it feels like such comfort that i go you know what it's just never going to be completed until i go to heaven so i just need to do the best i can Every day that I'm here, I'm going to work on it, knowing that the goal is not to arrive. The only goal of arrival is to know Jesus so that you actually arrive in heaven and then you're complete. So I hope that was helpful for you. I I really enjoy talking about that concept, even though it's always not a very popular one. But I want to talk more today, the rest of this hour, on just some steps to really being a better you, because part of the dying to self is truly becoming your own best version, what God originally designed for you to be. And this was a book that I've had in my library, and this was by James Mallory Jr. He's a psychiatrist, and with his friend Stanley Baldwin, who is a pastor, and they wrote this in the 70s, and I love finding just the works of people in the past that were so inspired by God, they are relevant all the time. Regardless of what decade we're in, regardless of what the current thoughts or the current theories, they're still applicable. And so I want to talk about these seven steps, and we may or may not finish it today, we'll see, because I really enjoyed rereading this book. And so they start with the fact that people are really hurting, and that, you know, you or someone close to you is probably pretty desperate, needs a lot of healing, especially emotionally. And what, what these, these two gentlemen found was that in the average assembly of people from any church congregation, there are people that are really hurting. The majority of people are really hurting. And, and I reflect back on the fact I'm going into my 29th year of private practice. 29 years that's a full, and I've done it full time. That is a lot, of, a lot of hurting people. So we see people out while we're walking around. We see people at work. We see our neighbors. We see people on television, and they all seem maybe happy, like everything's working. And I got to tell you that a lot of those people are in my office, because we can put on this front, and we can kind of pull it together and pull it off for a while. But then when we're by ourselves. When we're getting ready to go to sleep, when we're driving alone in our car, and we really feel the weight of our life and how hurt we are, maybe by God even, because he didn't follow through the way we thought he would, we hoped he would, we don't feel like he's hearing from us. We got hurt from people that we love, people that we don't even know. Maybe, you know, a business partner or even just one of the vendors stole from you, stole an idea from you. Maybe a doctor didn't treat your case or your children's case appropriately, and there was great damage. There's so many ways to be hurt here on earth. And so this, this particular thing that we're doing today, these seven steps, these principles, are kind of emotional principles of health. And they're tried and they're proven. And they really can help untwist our lives. So the first step, this is if you think about a pyramid or think of a skyscraper. You know, if you're building a 20-story skyscraper, think of how deep the foundation has to go for a 20-story skyscraper to be able to stand versus, you know, a house. A one-story house doesn't have a foundation that's as deep. So you really have significance in the world. Whether you feel it, whether you know it, you do. Because God made you. So obviously, you were important enough for him to create. So the foundation for you and your life, for it to actually stand and weather the storms of life, that foundation has to be in your belief that God really loves you. First and foremost, that God deeply loves you. And this is really important because this can be revolutionizing for us. And what I want you to understand is if you don't feel it, if you don't believe it, you've heard it a thousand times at church, it kind of falls on deaf ears. What I want you to really think about is then ask God himself. Test him. He loves, he loves to come through. Test him on this idea. Say, you know, I've heard everybody tell me that you love me. My pastor says you love me. It says in the, the Bible, you love me. I see God loves you posters. And just say to God, I'm not feeling it. I don't get it. I don't see it. Because usually what we as children do is similar to what our kids do. We really think someone loves us if things work out. And if they don't work out, we think that person doesn't love us. So we have a tendency to project that onto God and think, That all these things I needed to really happen, that are good things, all these ideas I had, these dreams I had, the desire for a partner, desire for children, the desire for a job that lets me support my family, the desire to impact people, and and somehow those dreams, those hopes, those requests have not come to fruition. What the enemy of our soul wants us to believe, and what he consistently hammers home, is that if God loved you, then this is what your life would be like. If God truly loved you, then these are the things you would have. If God really loved you, these needs would be met for you, for the people that you love. So this is first and foremost the foundation that we believe God loves us in spite of how harsh this world is. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me on the other side, as we continue looking at these seven steps to better your life and you. I hear the whispers in my welcome, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt your host, and I'm always very thankful when you join me and really listen and try to put into practice a lot of the information that we give you and the ideas and the concepts. And I really do want you to know I do this show because there are so many people that if they just got some basic understanding, some basic knowledge, some basic insights, it really opens up your mind, your heart to be able to hear God better. And to really heal the woundedness of your soul, because we are all wounded that live here on earth. This is quite a harsh place. So we've talked a lot about foundationally what needs to happen in order for you to be a better you, in order for you to have the life that God has called you to have. And the first one was this foundation of believing that God loves you. And that has to be what everything else is placed upon. So, you want to think about this idea. We all feel like we're unworthy in some shape or manner. We feel like we're a failure. And it's hard for us to believe that God really loves us. Because we really think that if He did, then we wouldn't have pain. And if He really did love us, then everything would work out. And so, we want this proof that God really loves us, and we fall into that if, only, then. If God would only do this, then I could really believe in him. Then I would really know he loved me. But I want you to think about the fact that God knows so well his people and he knows his world so well. And he sent his son. And his son lived a life that was harsher, more brutal, in, on every level than any human could ever experience. And he did that on purpose. Because he wanted us to know That in spite of how harsh, how fallen this world is, he can do beautiful things in spite of it. And that he sees our pain, he knows our pain, and he has felt it with us. And that he comes alongside of us, and he helps us to understand truly our value. And truly how to untwist it, unwrap it, and work it out. So the second habit the second principle that gets put on top of that first principle of believing God loves you is admitting your problems. One of the hardest things for us to do is to admit we need help. And I I can't tell you how many times I have people in my office and I'm always the last ditch effort. Now, trust me, I get it. That's not something I take personally. It's something I understand myself. Nobody wants to go see a therapist, people don't want to go to the doctor, they don't want to go talk to the accountant, don't want to talk to an advisor of some kind, don't want to go talk to the pastor, we all just wish we could do it ourselves and figure it out ourselves, and then we'd be okay and we would never have to talk about it with somebody and if we did, we would simply talk about our victory, right? <laughs> well, I really get that. I'm, I've been there, I have to work on not being there. Everyone needs help. Everyone has problems. You can't have no problems and live on this planet. Jesus lived here. He had tons of problems. Everywhere he went, it was problematic. And he had his own fight that he had to fight with his own self. And he had to die to his own self before he could actually hang on the cross and die. So we want to think about, he first went to God with his problems. He said, God, if there's any way any possible way, please, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to go through this. He asked God as well, how long do I have to be with these people? He was so frustrated with his disciples and their humanness. Jesus gets it. God gets it. So we first admit our problems. Who are you willing to go talk to about something that needs to change? Are you willing to humble yourself, to risk being judged? And recognize that if someone judges you for the problem you have, then they're not listening to God. Because God is a God that does not judge, and God is a God that does not lie. And so this is imperative. If we really want the life that God has called us to have, we have to first believe in his character in spite of what we see. And we have to believe that he loves us. And we have to go to him and admit the problems and not run away from them and pretend like they're not happening and hope they just magically get better someday. We have to be honest. You know, there's that beautiful song, if we're honest. It's tough to be honest. It's one of the things that makes God so proud of his people is when we are honest. Because in honesty, we find truth and truth always sets us free. Sometimes what I have found in my office is just coming and telling me what the problem is, created a ton of freedom for the person. They didn't need as much help as they thought. Once they begin to admit it. Now, I have to tell you the truth. Sometimes they come and talk to me, and once, once they start addressing the problem, they find out it might be bigger than they thought. But they're so glad they came. So this is Cynthia High with Conversations with Cynthia. We have another segment coming up. We're going to talk more about steps to being a better you. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your guest. And, and if you're just joining in, I want to encourage you to go to the website at cynthiahyatt.com. And at the top of that homepage, you just click the listen button, and it'll take you to all of the past radio shows. So you can listen to this one in its entirety. Either, you know, from your phone, from your computer, however you want to do that. And secondly, if you are needing a keynote speaker for any of your events, I love to do that for you. And I sing as well. And I can tailor make whatever it is topically wise that your organization may need. So don't forget about that. And I really appreciate you listening to the show. And all of the just feedback that we get on social media, it's very appreciated. So Let's get back to this whole thing that we're talking about when it comes to seven steps for a better you. Seven steps to be your own best version. And we talked about, we left off in the last hour, in the last segment, this whole idea of admitting problems and how very difficult this is. But what we find is that great metaphor that Jesus himself, he used light as a metaphor for direction. And he says he lights our path and we will not stumble. So when it seems so scary, so embarrassing, so overwhelming to even begin to talk out loud about an issue, a problem, a situation you have, that we have to remember that Jesus did that as well. He bared his soul to his father, disciples, people that he touched, and so what Jesus says to us, if you'll bear your soul to me and to another, I'm going to light your path. I'm going to help you not continue to stumble. And so this is part of following, following Christ. And we see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he says, He can do all, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. We can do all things. So we're not going to be completed until we arrive in heaven. But down here, those things that you know you're supposed to be working on down here. He says, you can do all those things if you're in me. So we want to think about these ideas of whether or not we're going to face and admit the situation that that we know is right in front of our face, that that takes so much energy for us to walk around, to hide from, to make sure that people don't see it. And so we want to be off with the mask. We want to take that off. It is so healing for people to come clean. You know, and it may not be necessarily a sin. It just may be that you're insecure. It may be that somebody abused you in the past and you're so afraid to say that person's name. And you're so afraid of what people might think if you tell them what was done to you. And you're embarrassed thinking it might be your fault somehow. Or maybe you were, you were idle and you saw someone being harmed and didn't say anything. See, we all have regrets. And part of the thing about healing from our past, healing from those things, that those sins that so easily beset us, is bringing them out into the light. They are so much smaller when they are in the light, especially when we are talking in the company of a loving, forgiving person. So when we speak them out loud, we get more power. We get more distance from them. We get to see them for what they really are, see those problems for what they really are. And so we need to really be willing to be open, to be candid, to be transparent, And we see that in James chapter 5, 16. He says, Admit your faults to one another. Pray for each other so you may be healed. And the earnest prayer of a righteous man has great, powerful, great and powerful and wonderful results. So think about this. Let me look at 1 John chapter 1 verses 7 through 9. It says, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that cleansing process is healing, is part of the healing process. It's also part of the rebuilding process, and it's also part of giving you insight and restructuring and giving you a new plan as to how to live the life that God has actually created for you to live, the path that he has made specifically for you. So once we admit those wrongs, either something we did wrong or something wrong that was done to us, And we're willing to be transparent and not so protective of our own egos. We become stronger. And what that does is help us with this next step. And this next step is take personal responsibility. And this is a big deal. And we need to understand that We have to take personal responsibility. And when I say personal responsibility, I'm not saying that you are admitting cause. See, if I've been sexually abused in my past, if I've been harmed, if I've been emotionally abused, if I've been spiritually abused or physically abused, to any degree, you know, think about it just takes one grain of sand in the carburetor to seize up the whole engine. So we have a tendency to want to minimize and say, well, it was just once. And, or we say, it just was, you know, wasn't know was physical. It was just, you know, they were mean to me. They bullied me. They pressured me. Whatever it was, whether it was a one-time event or an enduring part of your life, we have to take responsibility for what happened to us. And it doesn't mean that if I was abused, I take responsibility for the, the abuse. What I do is I take responsibility for what I need to heal from it. Now, if I did do something wrong, I need to take personal responsibility for that as well. And I need to really look at me through the eyes of Christ, knowing that he has seen it all. God has seen it all. He has seen everything that you are going to go through from the beginning, the the conception, to the to your passing. He knows every single moment of every single day of your life. He's not shocked and surprised by anything. And so what you want to consider is that when I bring it out into the light, there's a chance for it to be healed. Think about surgeons if they were operating by candlelight. Have you ever seen an operating room? It is so bright and very chilly and very white. And that is all the way that they make sure they don't bring anything to infect and that they don't make any wrong moves. And that whatever surgery they're doing, they are giving that patient the best opportunities to heal from it and survive it. So when you think about what light does, Light helps us see it for what it truly is because oftentimes what I have found is that what people have done with an event or with a concept or with a process or with whatever it is that they are struggling to take responsibility for, if they bring it out into the light, it's more manageable. It's also more manageable because there's a witness and I can be a compassionate witness. That is what Jesus is. He's a compassionate witness to God about his people. There's freedom that comes with not being the only one that knows something and is, and is bearing your own burden all the time. So taking responsibility for something is either taking responsibility for a misdeed, a sin, whatever, how egregious it may be, there's nothing too bad that God can't handle. Nothing. Nothing. There's no way that you are worse than any other person on the planet that has ever even been from the beginning of time. I mean, think about this. Would you like to have, you know, Eve's, um, you know, her, her legacy? She's the one that, you know, ate the apple. There's so many people in the Bible that have overcome so many things because of the love of God and his grace and his mercy. But they took responsibility for it. Think of the story of King David. When he was confronted with what he did with Bathsheba, he said, you're right. And he took responsibility for it with God. He didn't abdicate his throne because he was so ashamed of himself. He simply said, I got to get back up. I got to do the right thing. And this is part of what we want to learn from people, either what to do or what not to do. So taking responsibility is the first step toward untwisting life and to begin to understand what happened and to walk through it with someone so you can know exactly wow that was my responsibility and that was their responsibility so what do i need do i need to make restitution or would making restitution create more heartache for the person but i have to be willing to make restitution Do I need to tell someone about whatever the transgression is, or do I need to make sure I tell a safe person like a pastor, a therapist, a trusted friend, a mentor, and that's who I tell. So you need wisdom to know truly how to take appropriate responsibility. It isn't an either or situation. There are very few things in life that are black or white. And so this is what we want to really think, is that there is little hope of healing if we can't talk about it, if we can't speak it out so that we get it out of our heart, out of our mind, so that we get it to be the, the right proportion and the right size, so that we don't minimize it and we don't overemphasize or maximize it. So this is really important so that I can be healed, so that I can move on. And so that I can make sure that I learned, that I'm changed because of whatever was done to me or whatever it was that I have done. That it becomes a badge of honor because it becomes something of overcoming versus a constant wearing the medal of defeat. I don't want you to walk around wearing the medal of defeat. The enemy loves that because the more that you do that, the heavier it gets and the more mistakes you will make. So God has for you freedom. He has forgiveness. He has life. He has abundance. And he always has love. See, there is no way to exhaust God's love because he is love. He is love. So when we think about this idea of taking responsibility, I hope that helped. And this next step that we're going to talk about and we're, we're going to really talk a lot about it next uh, next Sunday, is this idea that believe that you can change. One of the most phenomenal things about my profession is how I see people change. I had someone ask me the other day, they said, I don't know how you do your job. I just think it would be so painful, so depressing to hear about problems every day. How do you do it? And I said, it's not depressing at all. In fact, it's invigorating, and it's because people get better. See, if my job was just listening to all the, the, the lamenting and all the terrible things that have happened, and nothing changed, nothing got better, yes, that would be very depressing, but people get better. They really do change. And they don't change the inherent part of the creation that God made them. They actually change into who they're really supposed to be. So they get rid of the things that don't fit them. They get rid of the things that that are trying to redefine them in a negative manner. And so the change is that they are healed, they are whole, they are new. And they grasp the value of who they are and why God made them and why he's so happy that he's made them. They become more resilient. They become more positive. And they become more life-giving to the world around them. So I hope that you have a great Sunday and a wonderful week. Make sure you join me next Sunday as we talk more about the seven habits to a better life. God bless you, and we'll talk to you next week.